What's going on, everybody, and welcome back. So we're just going to kind of jump into it, but today I am chatting with author J.S. Dewis. I know her as Jenny, but Jenny, how are we doing today? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I can't complain too much. I mean, awesome. you know, still working from home. <laughs> yep, same here. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon, but yep. I'll keep enjoying it while it lasts. Same. Yep. Um, My dogs are going to have separation anxiety, I think, though, so... <laughs> Not looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would probably say the same. But you know, maybe, you know, maybe my my office can at least wait till like end of May. So then my wife's just home because she's there a teacher. So then oh, she can just be at the home with the dogs, and I'll be at the office. But who knows? Who yep. knows what's going to happen <laughs> the next five six months? So yeah. But um, yeah, just wanted to just want to kind of start off. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, growing up, going through school, and then kind of how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. No small task. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, from a young age, you know, I would write short stories and I always kind of loved it, but I very young fell into filmmaking. Um, I got my first camera when I, well, I used my family camera when I was like seven or eight and started making movies. And from then I was just obsessed with it. So really my storytelling background comes from doing that. Um, and I made movies all through high school and did lots of, you know, film festivals and contests and, you know, it was always just a super big part of my life. So that's what I went to college for. Um, cinematography specifically is what I ended up focusing on. Um, but, you know, I did some screenwriting classes as well. So I got some storytelling experience that way. Um, and then how I ended up getting into fiction writing was actually through fan fiction. Um, I just started writing fan fiction for some of my favorite video games and, you know, the people responding every week was super encouraging. And I was like, this is a blast. Why didn't I do this before? <laughs> um, and that's kind of what gave me the encouragement to try my own novel. And then here we are with The Last Watch. So yeah. Okay. So what was uh, some of your earliest fan fiction? What games did you write for? The very first was Dragon Age 2, um, which I still to this day am obsessed with that game. <laughs> I think it was brilliantly written and was just so, so good. Um, so I wrote a bunch for that, really the equivalent of probably two and a half uh, like full-length novels um, wow. for those, yeah. Um, and then I, what really kicked it off was Fallout 4. Um, I don't know if you've played that or not, but oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so McCready is actually who my book is dedicated to. Um, <laughs> I felt like, you know, he was super interesting and I just really wanted to expand his story and just kind of wanted to keep writing. So I picked that up and started writing it. And that's the one that really took off and people really super love. Still to this day, it gets thousands of views a day. It's insane. Um, so that's the one that I that's crazy. really, yeah, would say is the one. But um, I've written some very short ones for Mass Effect as well, but not nearly as much as for Dragon Age and fallout so okay so i have like you know as like bethesda like reached out to you at all like going oh my uh, gosh I mean, this is I'm great i'm available you guys so <laughs> if bioware bethesda wants to hire me i'm here <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i i talked to a lot of authors and uh several of them always point back to video games as far as like storytelling goes i mean do you do you believe like that some of those people that do the storylines and so forth for games like really need to look into writing novels. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of them do, but do you think more should? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I feel like a different skill because they have to be written in such a different way, but there 
are things that translate just like with script writing, you know, certain elements that translate. And one of the big things is characterization. And I think that's why I love Bioware games in particular so much is their characters and relationships are always super strong and a big focus of their games. Um, so I would love that. You know, one of my favorite books is written by um, a Bioware writer, David Gator, um, about Dragon Age Origins was what it was for. Um, so I'm always, I've always been interested in tie-in. Actually, when I first started writing fan fiction, I was like, I just want to write tie-in. Is that a thing that I can do is just write tie-in? And the answer was basically no. <laughs> like, <laughs> Either you write for video games, so they let you write the tie-ins, or you know you're an established author and you kind of can get into it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of hoping that that's a you know additional path. I always want to write my own original novels as well, but that could be a really interesting additional path to write for sure. Absolutely, because I mean you know they're they're still doing you know like tie-in novels for like Alien and. Uh, you know, I'm assuming they would do it for Predator too. I don't see quite as many for Predator, but uh, like I'm listening to to Cold Forge by Alex White right now, so I can go listen to uh, Into Caribdis, and then I'm supposed to be getting Weston. Is it Oach? Oosh? I never know how to pronounce the last name, but he's got one that's a tie-in to a new video game that's coming out. So I'm just like, nice. there are always opportunities. I mean. I don't know if you want to write in the alien universe, but <laughs> I can only imagine that <laughs> nice. you know there'll be some tie-in stuff for video games, you know, more in the future. So I know there's stuff for like Halo and Gears of War. And so yeah, forth, there's a lot of Halo, Gears of War, and Warhammer 40k is a big one yep. too. Um, and then there are a bunch of Bioware ones. There's just not you know a whole like trove of them, but there are quite a few there too. Um, they do a lot of comics and stuff too, tie-ins, mm -hmm. which I don't know how to write a comic, but I think it would be interesting too. <laughs> I learned a I mean, novel, so <laughs> I didn't know how to write a novel four years ago either. So <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know I, there are a lot of uh, I guess you would I guess you would say just grim dark fantasy authors, but there's some fantasy authors that write in the in the 40k world, um, and uh, you know. I feel like they're like pushing like five to 10 books every like six months. Like it's insane. Yeah. yeah they write um, so much in short fiction too, which I don't know how to write either, but I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do the, uh, the, with the national Nano Rimey, whatever. Oh, Nano Rimo. I have not yeah, ever done that. Um, I wasn't aware of it until after I had like written the last watch and was on the path to getting an agent and stuff. And by that time it was just sort of a thing like, all I do is write all the time. Like I have a nano every month by myself. <laughs> so it wasn't really a situation where I felt compelled to, you know, or needed to rush through it in that way, I guess. Um, but I, it's always fascinated me and I always want to join, but it's like November is the worst month. <laughs> like to do that, you know, with like Thanksgiving and everything and like Christmas coming up and it always just never works. Um, but I know they I think they do one in July too, or like a version of it in July. Mm -hmm. um, so I think someday I could see myself using it as like motivation, but right now it's just like, I have to write year round. So, <laughs> so, so you, you just, you just have your own personal Nano. Yep. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of Nano because it's supposed to be about community, but you know, I'm a recluse. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel, I feel like everything nowadays has to be about community, whether whether or not you want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, so when did you, I guess, start writing seriously? I mean, I know you, you said you've read, written fan fiction and so forth, but when were you like, okay, I really want to write a novel and I want to, I want to push it, try to find an agent, try to find a publisher. 
you know, when was like that decision made? Yeah. So I wrote my first novel, um, in early 20s, was it early or late 2015? Um, and that, you know, it was okay, but it was post-apocalyptic, kind of just very tropey, very Fallout 4 inspired, <laughs> um, and just kind of practice more or less. And after that, when I realized that post-apocalyptic is actually very difficult to sell um, in traditional publishing, I kind of was like, okay, what else do I love? And I looked directly to sci-fi, obviously, um, like space, space sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I decided to write The Last Watch, and that was twenty uh, late 2016. Um, and then after that, I just, you know, kind of ran it through beta readers and took it to, to agents. I did a lot of Twitter pitch contests and things like that. That's not a, actually how I found my agent in the end, but, you know, it got me involved in the community, which was, I think, a really good thing. Cause at the time I felt really distanced from that, you know, I was coming from the film world, which is a completely different beast full of completely different people. And I didn't know anybody that was a writer at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually joined an online um, critique writing community called scribophile.com. Um, and it was fantastic. Um, it's sort of a trade based system. So you log on, you post your chapter, um, people can critique it and they get sort of they call them karma points for critiquing it. And then you can kind of trade chapters that way. Um, and that's actually how I found all of my current critique partners who we've since moved off the site and just kind of beta read whenever we need to instead of doing the, you know, online system. Um, but it was a great way to just kind of get involved in the community and they have forums and stuff and they have groups that you can join. Um, and it was a really fantastic way to just kind of be like, okay, what's going on in the writing community? Like, how can I figure this out? Um, and that's kind of how I got led to Twitter eventually. And um, you know, the whole Pitch Wars community, I never participated in Pitch Wars, but um, just that whole kind of online Twitter community as well, which I think helped make me feel a little more like, okay, I'm not totally alone in this. <laughs> I feel like that a lot, but <laughs> um, it's, and especially now, you know, this whole COVID thing is terrible, obviously, but how much of this kind of stuff has now moved online is actually pretty fantastic. You know, you can reach a lot of readers that you, it would have been a lot more difficult to reach before. So that's yeah. all been really good as well. Yeah. You know, I've, you know, you coming, I guess, to Twitter, I wouldn't say late, but, you know, later in the game, I guess, than mm -hmm. some do. Um, yeah, I mean, especially over the past probably year and a half, I mean, it's really exploded just because people are looking for that outlet area. And then also looking for, to, I mean, just people to talk to about books in general. I mean, whether you're an author or a reader or a blogger, et cetera, um, you know, it's just a great place for just a, a, abundance of information. Um, and then, you know, Clearly, you know, once the book goes out and everybody loves it, I mean, you're, you know, you're just going to skyrocket up there and follower count and everything. And people are going to start talking about it more. Um, but it's it's a really fun place. I mean, there, there's some toxicity in it, but there is that everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you just you just try not to doom scroll too much. But uh, <laughs> but it is a, it is a great outlet, you know, to get your stuff out there and to get, you know, people kind of interested in it and invested uh, and then also just to, to make some friends along the way that you can kind of bounce ideas off of. Um, that's kind of what I've done with my blog. I mean, I've, we've got over 20 contributors now just because we just can't keep up with the, the volume that's coming in, especially just because all the delays with COVID, you know, it pushed a ton of books yeah. this year. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's just stuff out, you know, every single week and you've also got self-published going on. It's just, it's insane. 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you got to get through a lot of the fluff, but I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there too. So. Yeah, for real. Um, so as far as, as far as Lost Watch goes, um, so did you, did you plot it all out or did you kind of have an idea and you just kind of went with it or is it kind of like a mixture? Did, did you pants a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I pantsed um, the entire thing. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing when I started. I had done some sort of, I call myself more of a like concept up writer. Um, like I need to know like that kind of root concept, which obviously for the last watch is the edge of the universe. <laughs> um problems happen um so i knew some things and i had some vague ideas for characters but i kind of just started writing and just kind of you know at that time i really i had only written one other novel and i had done the same thing for that one where i just started writing um so i was kind of finding things along the way and since then i have developed a sort of pseudo plot structure that i look at um that's I've kind of Frankensteined from a bunch of different sources that I honestly couldn't even recall most of at this point. Um, but I think it works well for my pantser brain because it allows for, you know, okay, I know these things happen, but everything else in between can kind of be figured out. And that gives me that sort of sense of discovery that I kind of need to, you know, stay in interested and invested in it. Um, but I would say I'm a pantser at heart, but out of necessity, you know, you kind of at a point, because, <laughs> you know, you know, they want to see a synopsis of your next book, you know, but your editor wants to see it. And then, you know, when you get to the option stage, they want to see that stuff. And it's like, you just kind of have to learn how to do it, whether you want to or not. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so did you take that same concept into writing the second book or did you go, okay, I need to, I need to plot this out a little bit more because I've got to know exactly where I'm going. And then if I want to continue where I need to stop <laughs> to, yeah. to, to allow for, further exploration. <laughs> yeah, um, I did write a pretty, you know, not super detailed, but a pretty in-depth synopsis, um, not because my editor wanted it necessarily, but more because I felt like I needed to get her approval, <laughs> more or less be like, this is what I'm gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what? thankfully it went over well, <laughs> you know, she had a few good point notes, but nothing that changed it structurally. Um, so I was able to, you know, write it from beginning to end um, without having to make any like big structural changes or anything like that, which is always my fear. I haven't yet written a book where I had to make major, major structural changes. And I'm honestly not sure if I would be capable of doing it if it did. So hopefully I can just always kind of luck out and get the structure down to start with. And then, you know, going back in and fleshing stuff out comes later, but yeah. I'd say you get your edits back and you're like, I don't think I can continue this book. <laughs> <laughs> like, scrap it, start over. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and put this in the may finish later pile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, who, uh, who are some of your writing influences? Like, did you, did you read a lot growing up and did, did those kind of carry over into what you wanted to do uh, in the divide or, um, you know, did you just, did you read different genre than you would write in? Just, just curious. Yeah. So growing up, I read a ton, um, you know, not a lot of sci-fi cause it doesn't really get marketed to young girls and definitely back then it didn't. Um, so I didn't really know about sci-fi <laughs> until the original, um, the, the prequel trilogy came out for Star Wars. Um, and then, you know, there were some young adult books that came out for that um, that I loved and was obsessed with. And I was like, oh my gosh, sci-fi is a thing. And that's kind of when I 
learned that there was literature sci-fi that I could read. Um, but I didn't really get into reading adult sci-fi until I was an adult. Um, and it was really after Mass Effect, came, the first Mass Effect came out um, that I started sort of re-getting into sci-fi. Um, and I started reading more classics, like um, my favorite or what I call my favorite book is Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. And I would say that's a was a pretty big inspiration for The Last Watch just as far as the you know, sense of wonder and, you know, the big dumb object trope is my favorite and it's got that in spades. Um, so that was a big one. Um, I really do like the classics. They are problematic and there are, you know, parts that you kind of just have to willfully ignore as you're reading. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're willing to do that, there are some really, really good things in there. Um, and then recently I've actually, you know, as an adult read a lot more fantasy. Um, my husband is very into fantasy and into audiobooks, So, you know, he's got a billion fantasy books on his Audible. So I just kind of would like listen to those, you know, while we were, we did a lot of traveling for work um, over the last, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I read a lot more fantasy actually than sci-fi. And it wasn't until I wrote The Last Watch where I was like, okay, maybe I should try to start reading in my genre. <laughs> <laughs> um, but ironically, you know, once you start writing, you don't have time to read very much. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm a very, very slow reader. And I do do audiobooks as well but with COVID I don't have anywhere to go or you know there's yard work to do but only you know during the spring and fall so it's like you know I'm kind of limited on that but um, I've definitely been trying to catch up more and more with you know what has been going on with sci-fi over the last you know five-ish years but I'm, mm. I'm woefully behind to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was just talking to Nick Martell about it yesterday. You know, the whole like not having a commute uh, anymore has really yeah. like killed audiobook listening for me. I've been, I, I always tell myself, all right, let's let's try this. Let's let's nix this, and then we're gonna we're gonna try this to, to try to get me jump started. I guess back into it. So I have actually, and Nick told me to do this yesterday. I've actually turned off all the notifications on my social media accounts. So I don't, I'm not constantly looking at my phone. Mm -hmm. So the only reason I'd have my phone on me is for, for work email and then for an audiobook. And so I literally just pocket it and I'll walk around, do anything I need to around the house. I actually bought a basketball goal. So I'm going to start shooting hoops and listen to audiobooks just to get outside because <laughs> yeah. I'm always inside. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and honestly, you know, whenever I sit down to read a book, and I, I feel like I'm a pretty fast reader, but I get so just, I don't know. I start thinking about all these things that I could be doing and not reading. And I go, but I, but I really want to read, <laughs> but I'm like, but I've got to watch this I've got, you know, yeah. I've got to make dinner after a while and all this other stuff. And yeah, you know, your mind just kind of soars. And I think that's just from probably just me being in the house for a year now. I mean, gosh, over a year, it's been like a year and a month now. Yep. Um, so yeah, but so I, I, I feel you. Audiobooks like used to be my favorite thing and they still are when I can get to them. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to do more walks. I have two dogs, so it's easy to have an excuse to walk. Um, oh, but yeah. The winter was rough as we just got a lot of snow and it was icy a lot and nobody shovels their sidewalks for some reason. So <laughs> just makes, they don't want you walking from their yeah, <laughs> makes it really hard in the winter. So now that it's finally starting to get nice out, I'll be doing a lot more audio booking, which will be really nice. And obviously the yard, we have a pretty big yard, so it's in constant need of work all the time. So <laughs> there's always an excuse to go out and listen to an audiobook. So yeah, I'm gonna take advantage. Bad of that. idea. 
I, I've just been so lazy. I, I've been, I could be taking my dogs for a walk just about every day. I don't know why that just doesn't occur to me. <laughs> to I'm I usually just like, they're like in the backyard. So they're yeah. good. Like they've got yeah, like I, room to room, but I'm like, I could get some exercise. <laughs> yeah. Like I sit in my backyard and write or work on promo or do whatever all the time. And they just walk around and entertain themselves. And I'm like, Oh, they're good for the day. But my youngest one is starting to get a little chunky after going a whole winter. <laughs> So now I'm like, oh, maybe I should actually walk her, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, one of, so I've got, I've got three. Uh, so I've got one that's, she's going on 17, but like acts like a puppy when she's outside. Wow. She's all about it. And then I've got, we call, we basically call her a miniature corgi because she just, she just hasn't gotten any bigger and she doesn't <laughs> eat a ton. So she doesn't get, you know, overweight like most of them do. Mm-hmm. And then we've got one right in between them that's a dachshund mix. And he used to be like, super energetic and then he got a little fat but then he lost weight but he hasn't really gotten his energy back so he's the one that really needs to, nice. to get after it on the walks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i know i know all about chunky dogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's not too bad and she's just she's a uh, part pyrenees mix so she's very just floofy so i think mm-hmm. it looks a lot worse like it was pouring rain this morning and she was all wet when she came in and i was like oh you're not as fat as i think you are <laughs> Well, that's okay. <laughs> May just need a shave. Maybe just a little, <laughs> a little trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about not really finding science fiction novels written for, 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 for younger girls or honestly, even, even women in general. But I feel like that's, that trend is really changing now because you've got a lot of female authors that are writing in science fiction. I mean, just, you know, kind of the top of my head, Megan O'Keefe, uh, Essa Hansen or, or a couple that had just recently released novels. Um, and I feel like it's just kind of getting bigger. Uh, Marina Lostetter had, had a trilogy, uh, I believe with Tor, if I'm not mistaken, um, or Harper. I can't remember which, which publisher it was, but, uh, and then of course, you know, you've got your duology coming out. So I feel like it's, it's really changing. I mean, granted, we're all talking about adult sci-fi here, but you know, uh, it, it'd be nice to, I guess, see some younger, some YA uh, science fiction novels. Would you ever consider writing a YA space opera? Maybe. <laughs> um, I've always feel like I'm just not capable of writing for younger audiences, but I probably, you know, could, especially once I could consider, you know, if I could ever be full-time as a writer and consider, you know, doing different pen names and things like that, like people do. Um, but I actually have a critique partner who writes in YA sci-fi and she's had a ton of trouble. She's even, she got an agent with her book and everything, but you know, them taking it to editors and stuff, it's just not a thing they're buying right now or interested mm-hmm. in. Um, I think it had a little mini resurgence a couple years ago where quite a few YA sci-fis came out. Um, that weren't dystopian, you know, space-based, like more space opera-esque ones. Um, But I guess it's kind of dying out again, and it's just a really tough market to get into. And that drives me crazy, because, like, (laughs) as a kid, I would have eaten that stuff up. And, you know, Mm. the Star Wars tie-ins and stuff I read were great and wonderful, and that stuff should continue as well. But it would be really great if we could kind of put more effort behind that and I think there are some middle grade sci-fi. I don't really keep up on the kid lit stuff too much, um, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I've seen some middle grade sci-fi stuff kind of come out. Um, but you don't really see it very much in YA. It's kind of mm-hmm. disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of like you said it. It does that dystopian post apocalyptic deal. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when they they've done the research with the High Republic stuff, and it's kind of all over the place. You've got adult, you've got middle grade, and you've got children's, um, and 
think I might, I might I've like lacked one so far that's come out, but you know, like Justina Ireland had a test of courage, which is like a middle grade. Um, and you know, for those that don't consider star Wars fantasy, um, <laughs> and, and it's actually science fiction, um, you know, that, that, that's a great starter point, you know, for, for maybe a somewhat resurgence if they decide to go that way. But yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's hard to write a space opera without like giant battles, uh, you know, space battles or, you know, people dying. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a little difficult, you know, it, not everything is sunshine and rainbows, uh, you know, uh, up in the galaxy, but you know, maybe, maybe one yeah. day. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you can lead the charge. Yeah. I would love to. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about the last watch. So, um, clearly myself and my contributor, Jason have read it and loved it. But, uh, for, for those who haven't, and those who are looking forward to it, can you tell everybody a little bit about what they can expect? Yeah, so, you know, how I initially typically pitch it to people is that it's um, the Night's Watch from Game of Thrones in space, which I think is pretty accurate. Um, the publisher likes to use just Game of Thrones um, <laughs> in the Expanse, which I get a lot of questions about. <laughs> um, it's, it's, so there's it's dragons? Not that, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, that's a good starting point. And then, you know, it's about, you know, a group of kind of misfit criminal soldiers who are kind of, you know, cast out to the edge of the universe and they're um, put up against, you know, a collapsing universe and they got to kind of deal with that. And it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but, you know, it's um, a lot of space opera-esque things, but more of a modern character-driven-esque space opera, you know, not what you would typically think of, you know, there's, there's not a lot of POVs, at least in the first book. Um, you know, it's just the two main characters and it's very, very character focused and character driven in that way. Um, you know, there's a lot of familiar tropes as far as, you know, there's like I had mentioned before the big dumb object trope and, um, you know, just military in general is kind of a sci-fi trope typically. Um, there's the royalty in space trope. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of familiarity but posed against this sort of concept of, you know, a universe that is finite, which I, you know, some readers might have trouble wrapping their heads around because it's, it's a big ask to be fair, which is kind of why I tried to balance that with, you know, keeping really focused on the characters and, you know, including a lot of these other familiar tropes that people could really latch onto. Um, and that said, you know, I tried to make a lot of the science based in reality, not all of it is, but, a lot of it is there is some route back to real science, um, which I think kind of helps too for some of the more hard sci-fi fans. So was it a hard sell uh, saying that the universe is finite? <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> <For> some people, <laughs> it was. Um, it. I had a, quite a lot of beta readers early on because I didn't know what I was doing. So I threw it at anyone that was willing to read it. Um, and. 95% of people just thought it was cool and were totally fine with it. Um, there was actually a physicist who was like, nope. <laughs> like, they would not accept it. They were like, you mean a galaxy, right? And I was like, no, I mean the universe, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was kind of just a thing where it was like, you know, either you're willing to suspend your disbelief or you're not. But I think it does an okay job of kind of explaining how, you know, early on how the universe works and the different physics and then moving on from there. So mm -hmm. 
I think it's you know, and also how it's fiction and right. There's <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like you're writing this to you know for, uh, as a dissertation or anything. Right. Yeah. I'm not qualified for that at all. I'm I'm not a science mind at all, despite how much science research I had to do. I'm really like you know, I'm definitely on the creative liberal arts side of the spectrum. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm curious, how much research did, did go into it? You know, I, I, I was wondering, you know, do authors like go out and buy a bunch of, you know, literature or go to the library and just check out a bunch of books and just jot a lot of notes down? You're like, what, what does it take to, to research something that, you know, you kind of expand into the entire universe? Um, so yeah, I didn't really, you know, read any books because I knew that I would never do it. Like <laughs> I would never, like I'd get this book and I'd maybe flip through and see some interesting things, but I could never read a book like that from cover to cover. Like my brain does not allow me to have that kind of focus on something that I don't really understand to start with. Um, but I did a lot of Googling, a lot of like, uh, there's actually a ton of research papers available online if you look hard enough um, that aren't behind paywalls or anything where you can get like a literal like research PDF of that someone did. And those are good to skim because they usually have like a summary at the beginning for <laughs> that isn't by any means in layman's terms, but it puts it enough in layman's terms that I can kind of be like, okay, this is what I want. And then look at the rest of the document to kind of figure out, you know, what are the relevant things. Um, so it's just kind of a weird logic puzzle, which I've always loved logic puzzles. So it works great for me of just finding the pieces that I know will fit with the concept I'm trying to support. And then, you know, narrowing down on those words or phrases or things that, you know, I can include to help the reader, you know, get on the same page as the characters and the narrative as far as what's really going on. So there was a lot of research I did, you know, research into universal physics and um all all manner of physics actually <laughs> um you know and not, not a lot of it makes it onto the page but i feel like it's kind of a thing where you kind of have to wrap your brain around it as a whole and then pick and choose what is going to be the best thing um so it was just a lot of googling a lot of reading <laughs> um but yeah it, it was fun. I probably have forgotten 90% of what I researched for it because it was so long ago at this point and I don't retain memory well. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's just a lot of Googling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I'm curious, you know, you, you read all the stuff and, you know, you may or may not know what they're talking about. And so you go, okay, well, I want to put in some big words and some really cool science, but I'm also worried that it's going to go over everybody that reads it and you know, go over their heads. I mean, were you worried about that at all? Uh, you know, with that research, putting it into your book? Yeah, it was definitely a concern of mine and not because I thought that it would be like too smart for anyone. It was more just that I wanted it to feel really accessible, even to, you know, saying not sci-fi readers at all. It might be a stretch, but I've had some people who don't primarily read sci-fi who have read it and said like, I understood it. I'm shocked. And I think, that's kind of just a misconception of sci-fi in general is that it's all going to go over their heads. So they're not even going to try the genre at all. Um, and that's something I wanted to kind of avoid with this and make it so that even if you don't, like you said, understand exactly what's going on, you understand it enough that you feel comfortable in how it supports the narrative and what it means for the characters to kind of just go along with it, which um, it was very big concern of mine. So it's something I probably spent more time on than any other one focus of sort of the, not really revisions, but even just the research process um, was just making sure that 
everything that went in that was science was something that could be pretty easily comprehensible. Um, and that was easy to a degree because some of the characters that are in it don't understand these things either. So they're able to be like, what's going on science guys? <laughs> science guys can kind of explain to the people that don't know what's going on in a little more layman's terms, um, some of the more complex things. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so contributor to the blog and, and friend of the YouTube channel, Jason asked, do you have any particular inspiration for the alien technology in the last watch? Um, it's a good question. I don't think I've got that one before. Um, not in particular, there was, um, kind of a callback to that rendezvous of Rama book that I mentioned. Um, they talk about, there's a lot of, um, everything in threes is kind of a theme of that alien culture in it. Um, and that's kind of a similar thing with the Viators, which are the um, alien race in the last watch, um, where there's a lot of triangle motifs, motifs in there, like design structure and things like that. Um, but otherwise I just kind of, I am obsessed with Pinterest. So <laughs> I have very, very extensive Pinterest boards. Um, so I would just kind of scroll, see something that looked cool and that I felt matched and then kind of, you know, expand on that to, to describe certain things. Okay. Uh, so what was, uh, speaking of inspirations, what, uh, was a, a big inspiration behind your two main characters? Um, cause you know, clearly the, the focus is on them, uh, throughout the entire novel, which, which I love character driven novels. I mean, that's, that's really what grabs me. I mean, world building is great generally for fantasy. I mean, you know, uh, I, I say there's not a whole lot of world building in, in sci-fi, but you know, space is just massive. So it's, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but you know, what, you know, what were your big inspirations for those two main characters and kind of how they, how they mesh together? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think what started with them more than anything was their relationship. I wanted it to be an example of a male, female platonic relationship that was just really strong and supportive and good from the start. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't intentionally pull from this, but I think probably part of that was um, the show Killjoys. Um, the two main characters have that kind of same very strong relationship um, and one where the female is sort of more in the protector role than the male is. Um, so I probably drew from that a lot for them. Um, and I don't really know where they came from. Again, I pantsed it. So <laughs> I kind of knew that they existed, that I wanted a female commander, which I probably kind of pulled from Mass Effect as well, obviously. Um, and then there was one image I found on Pinterest of a, just a guy in sort of a royal getup. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool if there was like a prince. And that's just kind of how Cavalon was born. Um, and then they just kind of expanded as I wrote and became their own people that I no longer had control of, which <laughs> I know some people hate when authors say that, but it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, you know, clearly we've got The Last Watch coming out on the 20th of this month, April, for those who are watching this a little bit later. Um, and then you've got book two uh, set in August. Um, can you can you say anything about book two? Um, and then can you say anything about what may potentially come after? 
Yeah, so yeah, um, The Exiled Fleet is the second book, comes out August 17th, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and those are the only two confirmed books. Um, so we know those for sure. It's not a duology as far as it's not intended to be one complete two book story. Um, you know, there's, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger or anything like that, but you know, it has its own complete story, just like the first book does. Um, I wouldn't say they necessarily work apart as completely separate books. You know, the second book is a direct sequel of the first book. Um, and then as far as the rest, it's just kind of a time will tell thing, you know, it's kind of a thing where we have to wait and see, you know, how will these two books do if they're received well, maybe we'll get to write more. I personally see it as a five book series. Um, it's kind of just always how I saw it in my head, even before I didn't really know where things were going. Um, just this, the, which things have changed quite a bit since that original thing, but it still kind of fits into to the five books. So hopefully there will be more, but yeah, it's just kind of a thing where we have to wait and see. Okay. Um, I'm curious. So outside of, uh, of the divide, you know, what, what is another, I guess, kind of like idea you've got blowing? Are you, are you thinking about, another space opera are you thinking about maybe moving over into fantasy or do you even know yet <laughs> <laughs> good question um i would never rule out fantasy i've always loved fantasy i don't particularly see myself as a fantasy writer at least not yet um there's sort of a you know common thing where you should try to write in one lane for a while and then you can kind of expand into you know other genres later so i probably wouldn't think about that for a while um, I do have another space opera kind of floating around, um, which I would roughly pitch as Thorne's Company in Space, um, <laughs> which is kind of another, you know, group of, you know, crew going about crazy things in space. Um, but that's sort of so far off on the horizon that I haven't even really fully fleshed anything out much. Um, I did write another book, like, you know, while I was querying and on submission with The Last Watch, um, which is sort of, it's called Rubicon, which is sort of a um, Phantom of the Opera in space situation, but military sci-fi. It's weird. <laughs> um, but I actually really like it a lot. It's just kind of not in line with, you know, the same genre as The Last Watch. So it's probably another thing where I'll just kind of, you know, I'm not shelving it by any means, but I'll set it aside and see when in my career, maybe it can come back and help me out. So. <laughs> Okay. What, what is it, what is it, uh, I guess that draws you to, to military sci-fi in particular? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think it's that inherent camaraderie probably more than anything. And just that most of my favorite IPs are military sci-fi like mass effect and killjoys. And I mean, killjoys is not really military, but it's a military esque organization. Um, Battlestar Galactica is my favorite show of all time. And, you know, I just like a lot of those things. And I think it's, yeah, just that sort of like ride or die crew together situation that I just like and guns and explosions. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a way to do like a mercenary crew, like in space, is to to do it military st uh, yeah, style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what uh, what are some some maybe books that you've read here recently or listened to? I mean, I know we talked about how you know uh, audiobooks have been kind of maybe a little bit on on a downslide uh, in both of our lives here recently. But have you read anything or listened to anything recently that's like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk about this book? Yeah, um, I just read, I just finished the first book in the Interdependency series by John Scalzi, um, which I thought was really good. Um, 
I'd only ever read Old Man's War of his before. So it was interesting to see something a little different. Um, and then I'm in the middle, I've actually been reading a lot of, I'm part of a 2021 debut group on Facebook. Um, so I've been reading a lot of their arcs and stuff too, which has been really fun to read stuff ahead of time. It makes me feel cool. <laughs> um, but I'm actually, I've been trying to read more outside of my genre as well, just as like a palate cleanser. Cause I feel like you get really consumed in your own thing a little much and you can kind of get stuck in your ways. So I've been reading um, a tip for the hangman by, um, Allison, I'm forgetting her last name, Epstein. I have it here. Okay. It's incredibly funny. It's historical um, fiction. Well, yeah, I guess you would call it historical fiction about uh, Kit Marlowe um, being a spy. And it's just, it's super funny and super good. Um, and it makes me realize I should be reading outside my genre a little more. <laughs> even though I also need to keep up in my genre. So I <laughs> know what to do. Gotta keep up and see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I can't win. So. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, like I said in the beginning, I mean, clearly Jason and myself, we absolutely loved The Last Watch. Um, we both read it and or I listened to it actually, um, which the audiobook was fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, and, and <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I got it on my De phone. Definitely, definitely listen to it when you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, we, we clearly both loved it and have been shouting from the rooftops about it. We will continue to do that through its publication, but you know, I definitely recommend everybody check it out. And, uh, I've got a pre-order link below, uh, it comes out on the 20th. So in 12 days, so woohoo. Um, <laughs> like actual copies now. Yeah, the finished copy so says yeah. mine, mine kind of kind of looks the same, but it's yeah, got the that ship little, is the ship's bit. a different shape. They picked oh, it, it is, yeah. Yeah. And a little bigger. Oh, but otherwise yeah. it's pretty similar. The colors are actually you probably can't tell on here, but the colors are actually a little bit different too. Okay, well I gotta get a finished copy now because it's different. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, God, I got to get different editions now. Um, but uh, I just, I really want to thank you for being here and for yeah. writing such a, a phenomenal story. And I'm definitely looking forward to the Exile Fleet uh, when I can get to it. I'm sure Jason is as well. But everybody, go pick up a copy. Uh, and Jenny, we will uh, talk some more. We'll do this again. And Jenny's uh, actually signed up to be on TV Archon 22 next year. So, uh, Woohoo! <laughs> so that'll be fun. Some more yeah. information on that will be coming out as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody look out on the 20th for The Last Watch. So Jenny, awesome. thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, you too. Bye.